Hello and welcome back to Stop and Go F1 for this, our final grand preview of the year. Can you believe it? Here we are, the final race of the year in Abu Dhabi, the Yas Marina circuit. What a year it has been. Before we get into everything, of course, like and subscribe. But secondly, yes, thank you very much to everyone who's been watching with us uh, this season. Uh, I started up the channel at the start of the year, didn't expect much, and, you know, uh, over a thousand subscribers was unbelievable, and the comments that we've been getting, and getting decent views on all the videos, and, you know, I had a comment last weekend from my reaction uh, to the Las Vegas Grand Prix from someone saying how much it meant for me to just, you know, I'm just sitting in a room in my house and talking about a sport that I love, and apparently it means a lot to that person. So, yeah, that was nice to see. So thank you to everyone for watching this year. But do not worry, because after this race is over, we don't go away. Stop and go F1 may have the word stop in the title, but we don't stop. Because over the off-season, we're going to have loads of content coming out for you. I've got loads of videos planned in December. I've got something pretty big planned in December as well. But it is all depending on post i'm waiting for someone to ship something to me to have over december and as of so far i've heard very little so there may be something big coming up in december hopefully then in loads of uh, videos coming up in january and then at the end of january we'll have all the new car livery reveals anyway so then we're back towards the start of testing for 2024 then we'll cover the whole 2024 season including you know your f2 f3 and Formula One Academy uh, starting the coverage of that next year. So, still loads of stuff available on the channel, so make sure you subscribe for all that. But enough talking rubbish now. It's time to talk about Abu Dhabi. And, you know, the new tradition of the uh, Grand Preview, of course, is the trivia question. And the trivia question revolves around someone who actually had a big crash today, and that's Nico Hulkenberg. The question is, what team did Nico Hulkenberg join after Williams? Answers in the comments, if you will. There is the trivia question. Time to get into the news for this week, all the big F1 headlines. The biggest story, really, of the week is kind of, yes, the... It's, to me, it's completely not a non-story, but it's the one that everyone wants to talk about. Christian Horner says someone from Lewis Hamilton's team contacted him earlier in the year. Lewis Hamilton says, no, they didn't. That's the story that everyone wants to talk about. I've spoken about it. Move on. I really don't care. A bigger story, though, is this Sunday, uh, during the race reactions for F2 and F1, I'm going to wear a tie. I've bought a tie, especially for it, to celebrate the end of the F1 season. It's a pretty funky tie, and I think you're going to love it. So tune in on Sunday to see that. But actual racing news everyone firstly looking towards Mick Schumacher now we spoke about this a few weeks ago when it was rumoured but it has now been confirmed that he'll be driving for Alpine in the World Endurance Championship next year uh, at the time we didn't know how this would affect his reserve role at Mercedes but it's been confirmed he's doing both so good for him you know uh, I'm happy for him I always quite rated Mick, to be honest. Towards the end of last year, I wanted him to stay at Haas. I thought he was half decent. I think when Nico came in this year, it kind of showed Mick up a little bit because Nico was instantly honest and better than Magnussen was. Uh, but, you know, Mick, will he ever come back to F1? It's hard to say. 
I would have said that Daniel Ricciardo would never come back to F1, but here he is. Uh, and Mick will definitely have more chance of coming back to F1 if he spends next year racing than if he spends next year standing behind Toto Wolf. So, fair on him, good on him. Uh, hopefully he'll have a good year in WEC next year. And, you know, maybe Alpine will do something good. I've Alpine ever... WEC's not my area of expertise. Have Alpine actually ever been uh, decent? Who knows? There's only one way to find out. Googling it. And I'll do that later. Uh, looking, though, I said before about F1 Academy, we had another F1 Academy uh, person uh, revealed this week. And it is Tina Hausman, a Swiss driver... Uh, she will be representing Aston Martin in F1 Academy. Also, Aston Martin revealed what they're going to be doing with Jessica Hawkins, uh, and she'll become the head of racing for their F1 Academy team. What that means, I have no idea. But I'm glad they're doing something with her because she always comes across great, and she's got a great uh, social media presence as well, and I think it would be a shame if Aston didn't do something with her. I'm not surprised that they're not putting her actually in the car, uh, because I think they want someone a bit younger who could maybe go up the ranks. And maybe Tina Hausman is the one. Uh, I looked at her racing record briefly. Um, she's an interesting one because she doesn't have like a Wikipedia page or anything like that, like some of the guys we've mentioned before. But I went and look on her racing record, and I think she's done some Italian Formula 4 and that kind of stuff. And it didn't look incredible. Uh, her her record but who knows we'll see what she can do next year I think it's very interesting having a Swiss driver because I'm pretty sure uh, in Switzerland racing is banned so having a Swiss driver represented in F1 Academy is also very interesting I'm very much looking forward to seeing that in full pomp next year where it's kicking off for some reason in Saudi Arabia Anyway, the final piece of news, I remember last weekend the news went on for what felt like seven hours. We're six minutes in here and the news is nearly over. But this was news that's come out this morning and it's that McLaren have re-signed their deal with Mercedes to have engines till the end of 2030, which is a big long contract for them. Uh, But, you know, realistically, when you actually think about it, they don't really have any other options. Because um, I don't know if Red Bull would be open to uh, signing with them. They definitely wouldn't get a Ferrari. Honda have gone exclusive with um, Aston. I don't know if the Honda McLaren bridge is um, too burnt to walk over. They won't want to go to Renault because Renault are awful. And then their only choices really are Mercedes or Cadillac. And, you know, the Cadillac engine is a big uh, question mark. You have no idea what that's going to be. They've already got their relationship with Mercedes. So, really, that's the only option they had. Uh, To sign till 2030 is a huge step as well. um, Because what this really means for McLaren is that their future as a competitive team is very much in the hands of Mercedes now, especially when we go into those 2026 new engine regulations. And, you know, you see a lot of things around of, you know, oh, Audi are this far behind, or Red Bull are this far ahead, and blah, blah, blah. But you can never really believe those, because no one truly knows where anyone is on timelines or anything like that. So, uh, McLaren's future here for the next however many years is all dependent on Mercedes getting those regulations right. And if we've seen Mercedes' reactions to aero regulations in the last few years, it hasn't been great. 
So hopefully, for McLaren fans everywhere, uh, Mercedes can get the engine regulations right for you there. Um, I mean, we're moving more and more towards a situation where um, each team's going to end up having to have exclusive engine rights because I don't see McLaren opening up their own engine manufacturing facility like Red Bull have done because if McLaren were going to do that, they would have done it decades ago. So I, I always see McLaren as a customer team rather than a supplier. But yeah, I mean, they're running out of options for places to go, especially how they've treated their engine suppliers in the last decade or so. You know, leaving Mercedes to go to Honda, destroying their relationship with Honda, going to Renault, destroying their relationship with Renault, now back to Mercedes, they haven't really got many options. So hopefully this one will work out for them. Right, special helmet street time, everybody. And we start with a special livery. Here it is. It is McLaren. We were just talking about them. This is their special livery for um, Abu Dhabi. It features the sponsorship of Views. No idea what that is. Um, you know, it looks it looks all right. Uh, it's not their best one of the year, but it's half decent. Um, it's annoyed David Croft because he he said he said this multiple times now, but he said it again this weekend. He was. Oh, well, you know, uh, McLaren have had six special liveries this year. Does that make them very special? <laughs> it's like, Crofty, shut up and have some fun, why don't you? For once in your life. Because, you know, it's alright. It's fun. There's 23 races this year. If they have six special liveries, I think that's okay. And this one looks half decent. And it'll probably get them a lot of money from sponsors. So, we are all good here. Let's move on to helmets, though, Special Helmet Street. Because, you know, we have the end of the year where normally we have loads of Special Helmets, but there is not that many this year. Alex Albon's got this one, which makes it look like it's been drawn with crayon. I quite like it. Looking pretty good. Uh, Yuki Sonoda has gone for this one. It's Franz Tost's final race as the boss of uh, Alpha Tauri slash uh, Toro Rosso. He's been there, I think, from the start, so... Very long time uh, as the head of the team, and it's his final one, so a lovely tribute helmet there from Yuki. Pierre Gasly has gone for this Abu Dhabi-themed one with the black and gold, which looks fine, I guess. Kevin Magnussen's gone for a bit more of a shiny look. Here with glitter in the name, and yeah, looks good. And Charles has gone for the all-white look, which always looks good. Ferrari looks so good. With red and white rather than red and yellow. I especially loved the Monaco, not sorry, not Monaco, the Las Vegas uh, livery that they put out for last weekend. So there you go. A very brief special helmet street there. Uh, we move on to Upgrade Corner. And surprisingly, considering it is the final race of the year, we have actually got some upgrades to discuss. Mostly, I think these upgrades are more about testing stuff for next year and actually getting results here at this weekend. The biggest one of the lot is Alpha Tauri. Now, it has been widely speculated by me and by others that over the last few races from, let's say, Mexico around there uh, to now, Alpha Tauri have been had their car more and more influenced by the uh, Red Bull team. And I think that's come away in a big way this weekend because Alpha Tauri got a brand new floor, which, as we know, in this era of ground effect cars, the floor is possibly the most important part aerodynamically 
of the car. And there could even be a good argument that a good floor is more valuable than a good engine. But that's an argument for someone far more intelligent than I. Uh, but yeah, AlphaTauri, brand new floor for this weekend. Um, lot Basically looking towards next year, I think. And I think uh, if we looked at them side by side, I wouldn't be surprised there was some similarities between the floor of the AlphaTauri and the floor of the Red Bull. So hopefully AlphaTauri can get some good points here. They are in that ba- that battle at the bottom of the table against the likes of Williams, Alfa Romeo, Haas. But I think... I think AlphaTauri should be able to come away with it. But another team there I mentioned, Alfa Romeo, they've got some new treats for this weekend. and It's a brand new front wing for them. So new, in fact, that the front wing, uh, the actual bit of the front wing, which comes out and sticks out like that, the nose was fine, but the actual front wing had no livery on it. It was just black. Uh, There wasn't any sponsors on it either this morning. So that's how new this new front wing is for Alfa Romeo. And Aston Martin have brought a brand new, basically a brand new uh, back of the car, really, rear wing and beam wing coming in for Aston Martin as well. Uh, Aston have been very... um, uh, I can't can't think of words. I can't think of words. I was going to say very clear... But I don't think that's the word I'm going for. Uh, they've they've been telling the truth. They've been very honest. Let's say that's that'll work. That'll work, everyone. Don't worry. Aston Martin have been very honest in what they've said over the last few uh, race weekends. Even go back to like Austin, where they said that basically from here on out for the rest of the year, it's about more about testing next year's car than it is about getting actual results uh, on this year's car. They still are in that battle for P4 with with uh, McLaren, which could go either way. My money would be on McLaren at the minute, but yeah, that could go either way. Uh, but, you know, when you have a, um owner like Lawrence Stroll, the money you get from Constructors' Championship means a little bit less because your owner is literally a billionaire. Uh, let's go to the practice roundup now, which I've called on my notes the practice roundup, and I think that's a terrible name. You know, especially when we have Special Helmet Street and Upgrade Corner. Uh, practice roundup sounds awful next year i'll come up with a better name but fp1 was an interesting one because we had 10 rookies in the car this morning um very much you know we have this young driver program idea where two sessions uh throughout the year have to be given up to drivers who have done two or less grand prix most of the time it is drivers who've done no grand prix and I always quite like that because it's good to see the young guys having a go out there. And, uh, you know, this one was actually quite interesting because George Russell topped the session. But in second place was Felipe Drogovic, big Drago, in the Aston Martin, which is very impressive. Only two temps off. You can't really take much from the FP1 because half the grid was guys who've never raced in Grand Prix before. But, you know, the Aston Martin looked good this morning in the hands of Drogovic. Hopefully... One day soon, he'll be able to have a go in the car. As for the rest of the rookies, Robert Schwartzman was in the Ferrari. He was eighth, uh, six tenths off of Russell. Uh, Yeah, he's an interesting one because, you know, he's been the reserve driver there for a while now. And I don't think he's ever going to get a full-time seat. But that's just between you and me. 
As we look further down, Frederick Vesti was 12th for Mercedes. We'll talk about him a bit more in a second. Uh, Jack Dewan in the Alpine was 13th. Taylor Porsche, 14th in the Alfa Romeo. Uh, IndyCar uh, star Pato Award in the McLaren. Uh, 15th, I expect a bit better from him, but there you go. Both Red Bulls had rookies in them. It was Jack uh, Dennis in 16th. A calm down Isaac, Isaac Hadjar, 17th place. Zach O'Sullivan was in 18th. And finally, it was Ollie Behrman in the Haas, who uh, was 20th, but only one-tenth off of Kevin Magnussen. And also a fun statistic, we spoke about it in Mexico where Behrman was in the Haas. Behrman beat Fernando Alonso in that practice session. In this practice session, uh, uh, Fernando Alonso didn't take part because Drogovic was in his car. So we can still say that in sessions where they've been competing against each other, Fernando Alonso has never beaten Oli Behrman. So there's something we can write home about. Now, as I said, couldn't really get much from FP1 because of all the rookies who were out there. Uh, you know, we're not getting competitive lap times. Both Red Bulls had rookies in them, so you have no idea what's going on there. So I, we were looking towards FP2 to be the session where we could see, look at some serious numbers and go, OK, let's have a look. Who's got race pace? Who's got qualifying pace? Blah, blah, blah. But that was ruined by Carlos Sainz and Nico Hulkenberg, both of whom had big crashes. Uh, Carlos Sainz had a huge crash about 15 minutes in. It took quite a while for that to be rectified. Red flag uh, had to fix the barrier, all that kind of stuff. When that was fixed, all the cars came back on the track and pretty much instantly, Nico Hulkenberg had a crash and then that brought out another red flag. By the end of that, we did not have much time left in the session and most guys just did a uh, quick qualifying run because the session was the same time as uh, qualifying will be uh, tomorrow or about the same time. So we need to get the data for that. So in terms of race pace, I really can't talk about it because I don't know. But uh, in terms of qualifying pace, once again, uh, Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari looking good. He topped the session in a lap time that he put in relatively early as well. As the track got better, people were still not able to beat it. Lando Norris ended up in P2 just by 0.048. Verstappen was third. Both Alfa Romeo boys looking good. Uh, Bossas was fourth and Joe was seventh. But I'm not sure how much you actually want to read into that because, you know, it's Alfa Romeo and they don't normally go up there. Uh, Perez was fifth. Mercedes was sixth and eighth. Uh, Alonso Darrell 11th, Piastri was 10th, Ricardo was 12th, Yuki was 15th, I expected them to be a little bit better, uh, yeah, so really, I don't know what to read from this, Ferrari look quick on one lap again, but you know, the other one was in the wall, so who knows what's happening there, it's really, really difficult to predict, but it's now time for me to do my predictions for the race, which normally is a bit easier, but here we go, so, my first prediction is that Ferrari will beat Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. I believe it is four points that separate them at the minute for P2 in the Constructors. And I am going with Ferrari to come out on top of that at the end of this weekend. I think Mercedes have been consistently better than Ferrari throughout the year. But at this last like third, last quarter of the year, Mercedes have fallen down. Whether that be the team or the drivers themselves, 
There's little mistakes creeping into Mercedes, and Ferrari seems to be coming all together now. Leclerc is on a little uh, streak of doing really quite well, despite his car letting him down in Brazil. But yeah, I think Ferrari have the momentum at the minute, and I think they'll carry that through to be P2 in the constructors. My second uh, prediction here is that Logan Sargent will have his seat for Williams next year and it'll be announced after the race because that is the only seat that's yet to be announced uh james vowels who i'm a big fan of i wasn't such a big fan of him before this year when he was his uh, strategy role for mercedes i didn't really know much about him but i think he has done a, f- a fantastic job in the role of team principal for williams i think the way he talks and the way he explains things are fantastic i like his openness with the fans and with the media I think he's really, really quite good and a breath of fresh air, actually, in terms of team principles in Formula 1. <clears throat> but he was interviewed uh, by Sky during FP2. And they asked him about uh, Logan's contract. And basically what he said was he wanted to see Logan for an entire year before he uh, decided which way he was going to go on it. Because he said if he had made his decision... When everyone told him to make his decision, which was around about Monza, you know, just after the halfway point of the season, Logan probably wouldn't have been signed for next year. But he then went on to say, since then, Logan's performances have improved, and I would agree that they have improved, and, you know, he's more likely to get that seat. What I would say at this point is, you know, I don't think this one race this weekend will determine if it's a yes or no. I think uh, James Wells probably has already made up his mind. He probably is going to give him that seat. What I would also say is if I was Logan Sargent, my performances would be improved if I knew I had a job next year. We see this not just in Formula 1, but you know in football and in sports all over the, time, all over the place. When a uh, player, driver, whoever it may be, when they get a contract extension or when they know their future is secure, they perform better because they feel better. So, you know, if James Miles decided a few weeks ago that Logan was going to stay, he probably should have just given him the contract then because, you know, that's nicer. And I think, you know, this story will have a happy ending because I think Logan will get the contract. But if in a few weeks' time we're talking about Logan Sargent's not in the car and it's going to be someone like Drogovic or something like that, then that paints James Vowles in a bit of a worse light. He's kind of pulling Logan along all year, not able to sign with any other team, not able to sign with, like, Formula E or IndyCar or whoever it may be, and now just left him out to dry at the end of the season. That doesn't look as good, but I think we'll all be fine when it comes to the tale of Logan Sargent. <clears throat> right. It's now time to talk about F2, because F2 is incredible this year. We're having a wonderful time. All the races have been a lot of fun, and it's been ages since I've been able to talk about F2. And I thought, coming into this weekend, it would be plain and simple. You just go into it. But no, F2 is going to F2. And F2 has F2'd all over my face today. (laughs) Why did I say that? So, coming into this weekend, uh, Theo Porcher has the championship lead by 25 points from Frederick Vesti. It should be a pretty simple championship win for him. But he's massively on the back foot now because of what happened in qualifying. Uh, Theo Porcher qualified in 14th place, which means for the sprints and 
the feature, he will start 14th. Frederick Vesti qualified 9th, which means for the feature he will be 9th, but for the sprint he will be 2nd, because they reversed the top 10. That leaves this door wide open. I think there's something like 39 points available from an F1 weekend. Now, two points of that has already gone, I think, because I think pole position gives you two points. So two points of that has already gone. But if Vesti can get a good feature, get a good sprint result from second place, which I believe he can, that, le that leaves this championship wide open in the feature race. And Tail Pocher, who should have just strolled into this weekend and won the thing, may now bottle it in the final race with a 25-point lead. Incredible stuff. Uh, Jack Dewan is on pole for the feature race. Fittipaldi on pole for the sprint race. Rookie of the year is also still available between Behrman and Victor Martins. Victor Martins currently leading that by one point. Uh, Victor Behrman had a terrifying qualifying, though. I think he's something like 18th or 20th. He looked awful in qualifying today. Uh, so Martins has basically got that one sewn up as we sit here right now, which is a shame for me because I am a big fan of Ollie Behrman. But yes, a lot of F2 fun coming up this weekend, as well as F1. And we'll be covering all of it right here on Stop and Go F1. So make sure you subscribe for all that. We're back tomorrow with the reactions to qualifying. Back here on Sunday with my new and fresh and funky tie for the reactions to everything happening in F2 and F1. Then we're back on Monday for the final driver ratings of the year. All that and more to come this weekend. I'll see you there. Have a good one. Goodbye.